The presenting sponsor of Behind the Beak is Down in Front Productions. DIFP is a video production company located in Birmingham, Alabama that strives to provide high-quality video services for your business or event at very competitive prices with a personal approach. They specialize in sporting events, weddings, and business videography, but also provide recording and video editing work for other events such as seminars, commercials, and concerts. Give Dustin and the crew a call at 205-588-0868 or visit them at difpbham.com. That's D-I-F-P-B-H-A-M.com to see how they can help you. Down in Front Productions, the presenting sponsor of Behind the Beat. Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Now, here's your host, Tyler Brown. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Behind the Beat, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. I'm Tyler Brown, alongside my co-host, Avery Davis, and today is Tuesday, November 3rd, Election Day. This is episode number 46 of the series. In a few minutes, I'll sit down with the newly named men's basketball assistant coach, Tyser Anderson. I really enjoyed this interview and hearing Ty's story, and I think you will too. His interview in just a few moments, but first, a few quick housekeeping notes and some news. Last week's guest was track and cross-country assistant coach Roger Cook. He talked about joining the program's young staff, his collegiate career at LSU, and the challenges caused by COVID-19 within his first few months in Jacksonville. To listen to previous episodes, Behind the Beat can be streamed at jsugamecocksports.com podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on SoundCloud. Last Saturday, the JSU rifle team fired off another win, knocking off Moorhead State on the road by 27 points. Jacksonville State tallied a 43-66 final mark at the Button Range, earning a 23-31 in air rifle and a 23-02 in small bore. Junior Mackenzie Van Patten led the Gamecocks with a 585 in air rifle and 579 in small bore. Jack State will make its second trip to the state of Kentucky this weekend, traveling to Murray, Kentucky to face the racers of Murray State on Saturday. For this week in JSU Athletics history, on November 4, 2017, number 3 Jacksonville State defeated Murray State 59-23 on a day the defense shined at Burgess Snowfield. The Gamecocks held the Racers to minus 3 rushing yards on 28 carries, the second lowest total in JSU history, and backed Murray State up an average of minus .11 yards per rush, also good for the second lowest total in school history. The Gamecocks recorded 14 tackles for loss, led by linebacker Jonathan Hagler, who collected six total tackles. The win was JSU's 30th consecutive OVC victory and put the Gamecocks one step closer to claiming their fourth consecutive league championship. Some former Gamecocks made some noise at the NFL level this weekend. Saran Neal of the Buffalo Bills recorded a tackle on special teams as Buffalo topped New England 24-21 to improve to 6-2 and and take a two-game lead over the rest of the division. And Troy Main Pope carried the ball 10 times for 67 yards and caught five passes for 28 yards in the Chargers' loss at Denver. Josh Pearson also remains on the practice squad of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That does it for everything happening around athletics, and now it's time for today's featured guest. Tyser Anderson was recently named the newest assistant coach on Ray Harper's men's basketball staff. Prior to the promotion, Anderson served as the team's coordinator of basketball operations. The grandson of Hall of Fame coach Lefty Drizell 
Anderson is excited to be following in the footsteps of his coaching hero. Anderson was a walk-on at Georgia Tech and served in the Peace Corps following graduation. The New Jersey native spent two years in Cambodia where he built a basketball court by hand before returning to the United States to coach prep basketball in Atlanta. Here is this week's guest, Ty Anderson. Joined this week on the podcast by assistant basketball coach Tyser Ty Anderson. Ty, thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me, Tyler. First of all, congratulations on getting moved up to assistant coach. Uh, last year, you were the coordinator of basketball operations. Tell me about what this move is going to mean to you. Uh, I appreciate it. For me, I, I'm, a, I'm a coach, so I'm happy to be back in a coaching role. Last year was, you know, as a high school coach, coming from being a high school coach for the last few years prior to coming to JSU, my, like, doing a lot of the ops jobs, you know, travel and food and uh, just a lot of logistics. Mm -hmm. You know, as a head high school coach, I was doing all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, my, my last year, we played a national schedule. I think we had as many road trips uh, my last year as a high school coach as we did last year with JSU. So, you know, those, those jobs are certainly jobs that I recognize the value in uh, with a program. And, I mean, you, you need a, a good ops guy. And, uh, and so, you know, I was certainly passionate about doing my job well last year. But being back on the floor with kids and, you know, that daily – grind of getting better and being out there in practice and being with our guys in a film room and uh and recruiting you know that's this is much more in my wheelhouse coaching runs deep in your family i mean your grandfather was lefty drizel legendary basketball coach yeah. that finished up with 786 wins and was a guy that jacksonville state saw a lot of back in the day when he was at georgia state so tell me about the connection with you that you have with your grandfather and what he's been able to kind of lend you through these years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, granddad used to always say the harder I work, the luckier I get. And that that's always, that's kind of been a family mantra. Uh, and it's certainly been a, uh, an attitude that, that I've used, uh, as a coach that I bring to, to my, my daily approach as a coach. And he really embodied that in the time that I was able to see him as a coach at James Madison and, and at uh, Georgia State. He was, I mean, there's just nobody that ever outworked the guy. And you talk to anybody who's in the, in the coaching world, uh, that's, that was his reputation. Great recruiter, uh, great coach, and was just a workhorse. Uh, there's guys that, you know, have worked for him on his staff that tell horror stories of how hard it was. Uh, I mean, I, I've talked to, to coaches before that I'm certainly not going to name their name, but uh, that have told me, like, like, I hated your granddad because of how hard he pushed me. And I appreciated it when I was, when I was done, but it was just really hard to work for the guy because he was going to squeeze every last drop out of me that he could. And uh, so I was listening to him the other day in a Zoom seminar that somebody set up, and there was a, a you know a couple hundred people on there that were listening to him, and he's telling stories. And somebody asked him if you could go back and do anything over in your career, uh, what would it be? And I was very interested to hear that 
that answer from him. And uh, the thing he said was, I think I might take it a little easier on my players. <laughs> he said, I think I'm, I may have pushed them too hard at times. And uh, anybody who knows him, I'm sure, was extremely surprised to hear that answer. I wonder if he, if somebody had asked him, what would you do differently with your grandkids if he would say the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of that lineage, when did you start playing basketball? You grew up in New Jersey and eventually made your way down to Atlanta. Yeah, he. Uh, I started playing when I was. I started playing when I was younger. You know, I used to always quip that you know when I was in middle school and you know our the best basketball camp that I went to every summer was at our family beach week uh, because you know me and my cousins, uh, my brother uh, would always go out to the to the blacktop uh, in in the town where Granddad had his beach house. And I mean, we were out there all day. And uh, anytime we were, anytime we were around with Granddad, he was having us do something. Whether we were doing push-up contests or racing on in the sand, uh, I mean, always. He, he, we were just always, always working. Uh, and so, yeah, we we started playing at a really, really young age, uh, and started, you know. I started thinking about the game at a really young age. Uh, you know, I've known I wanted to coach specifically in college since I was seven years old and uh, went on a road trip with him and his team and sat on the bench, uh, was at all their meetings and pregame meals and in the locker room with them. And uh, he really has had a almost like a, a deified presence in my life uh, from the time that, you know, from my earliest memories, uh, I've just always wanted to emulate him. And so, you know, my exposure to basketball and to his passion for the game and his passion for his players and his work ethic has just always been, you know, omnipresent in, in my life and my career. And obviously that pays off when you get to college, you walk on at Georgia Tech. Tell me about playing with the Yellow Jackets and making that team, I mean, anyone that can walk on with the ACC team, you know, what a big deal that is. Yeah, so I, I had, I remember when uh, Justin Young, who's with Hoop Scene, and he spent a lot of time with Rivals, uh, he he did a lot. He was, at the time, doing a showcase or like a recruiting event uh, in Atlanta, and that I went to, and I was, uh, I think, going into my senior year. And I wasn't a bad player, but I certainly wasn't an ACC-level player. Uh, I was getting recruited by some low-major schools, some Division II schools. And, um, but then Justin got a call from uh, Pete Zaharis, who was an, on staff at Georgia Tech, and they had just uh, lost a couple walk-ons. and. He called Justin and said, hey, I need somebody who, you know, can come in and is going to do what a walk-on supposed to do. And uh, But, you know, he's got to be, be able to play enough to where he can compete and, you know, be on a scout team and, and all that. And Justin said, right away, I've got a guy for you. I know he wants to coach. Uh, you know, he's, he's a decent little player, and he's I had, you know, pretty good size for a guard, and, uh, even though I was slow as hell. Uh <laughs> But uh, so I remember getting that call from Coach Zaharis, and I went up to Atlanta 
uh, I went up to Georgia Tech and you know met Coach Hewitt and and them, and they were like, you know, here's the situation. We we need somebody to come in and really just be a program guy and be a good walk on and contribute in any any way that 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 he can. And uh, I said, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. I mean, I didn't have to think about it. It, it wasn't, you know, any of the scholarship offers that I had or the opportunities that I had to go somewhere and play or went out the window. You know, the chance to, you know, learn and, and be exposed to, you know, somebody like, you know, an ACC program like that and Coach Hewitt and his staff. And uh, it was a no-brainer for me. What were your career ambitions as far as if you didn't make it as a coach, you go to Georgia Tech, you go to an engineering school, and it's funny, I've got a friend who, he was a broadcaster for the Mississippi Braves for a long time, and he went to Georgia Tech, but his whole career ambition was to be a broadcaster. Yeah. And then you go to an engineering school, and you know that's tough. Yeah. Uh, what was it for you? What was your major? What were you looking to do if coaching doesn't work out? <laughs> yeah, I had never thought about that until, uh, really until college. And it was the, the first time I really ever remember, you know, expanding my mind enough to imagine myself doing anything outside of coaching. You know, I was a liberal arts major. I started out as a, as a business management major at Georgia Tech, and that was kind of one that was popular among uh, athletes. And uh, so that was what I did without thinking about it. And I was like a year in, and I said, something's not not clicking here. Like, I'm, I'm – I'm meeting all these new people and I'm in this new city and I have this, you know, what college is supposed to do to you? My, my, my brain is expanding. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I said, I, I've got to figure out something else. I'm just not enjoying school. So I changed my major to a liberal arts major, uh, literature and culture. And I immediately loved school, fell in love with it, loved going to class. I love my, my, uh, professors and my fellow students and, uh, I loved the material that we were that I was, you know, studying, and uh, so I, for the first time, started thinking about something other than than coaching. And uh, of course, you know, my I was thinking about you know being a filmmaker or a writer or a poet, uh, and uh, so those were the things that that really uh, really spoke to me. So yeah, I, and then I I remember. I remember actually I, there was a, a math class that uh, that I was really, really struggling in because even at Georgia Tech, at Georgia Tech, even the your liberal arts majors, everybody, regardless of major, had to take two calculus classes. Mm -hmm. And so I remember I, I failed one of those math classes. I got called into Coach Hewitt's office, and he was like, basically, you, you need to understand what you're here for. Mm -hmm. And uh, – you know, I used to talk politics with, with Coach all the time. And so he was, you know, basically telling me, I know that you're you're enjoying some of these classes that you're taking right now, but like we need you to keep our to keep your GPA at a certain level. Mm -hmm. That's one of your contributions to our program. And uh that was a real wake up call for me that, you know, understanding exactly what the value in in, in my role and it, it gives me an appreciation for the the value in every every job that has to get done in a program to to succeed. I think what's probably most interesting about the journeys that you've been on was after you leave Georgia Tech, after you graduate, 
you joined the Peace Corps and you live in Cambodia for a while, Southeast Asia. Tell me about joining the Peace Corps. What propelled you to do that? And tell me about your experience there. Yeah, I was always, well, I say always, that's not true. Uh, ever since college, ever since I started, you know, I was exposed to some other people and other points of view. And I had an itch that, you know, needed to, to be, to be scratched. Uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to help people. I, I think that, but it, it would be dishonest to say that that was, that was it. Uh, I tell people a lot that it was, you know, for me being in the Peace Corps and it's a very personal experience was hedonistic altruism. You know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't completely selfless. I, I certainly, uh, the decision to, to go into the Peace Corps wasn't selfless. Uh, and the things that I got out of it, you know, I, I, I'm sure that I got out more than I put in. Is there a such thing as a selfless act? Yeah, right, right. Well, okay, Tyler. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's let's get real philosophical. Not to go Joe Rogan on you here. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that uh, I know that I, I'm I'm a different person having from one moment to the next, I guess. But I'm a different person having done the given, you know, over two years of my life to a cause that I really believe in, and that was separate from basketball. It's the first and only thing I've ever done that wasn't connected to basketball tell me what it's like there for I, I would say there's a lot of people that if you give them a map they can't point to Cambodia and just tell me what the situation like is there what you walked into and what some of the things that you did were uh so I went as a community health educator I was a CHE volunteer and I uh my primary what they call your you know your primary job there was uh to work in a health center and so for the first eight weeks that I was there we were in a training session you know I, I didn't have any health background and you know at the time when you applied to the Peace Corps it was just you you would check I checked I had an opportunity to just check the box that said I'll go anywhere in the world I'll do any job and now they've sort of uh streamlined it a little bit to where you know it's a more personalized application process to where, if, you know, if you're a Farsi speaker, then you're going to go to a Farsi speaking country. You know, we had some Spanish speakers that probably should have been in Spanish speaking country uh, in my cohort in Cambodia. And so now I think, you know, the Peace Corps has adjusted that a little bit. So but at the time I go and we have eight weeks of training in language, cultural training, and then, you know, what we were going to be doing and for me that was community health education it was a lot of just hygiene basic hygiene principles uh hand washing stuff like that and then a lot of antenatal care you know nutrition with uh with pregnant mothers and with their kids uh, creative ideas on you know with people who are living on two dollars or less a day of how to you know make sure that their their babies are getting proper nutrition every day and some just stuff like that and uh so yeah I did a lot of that and uh, I also did some English teaching at night I had a class with of some English teachers or English some students that would come and of uh I don't know anywhere some between 15 and 40 kids that would come you know a few nights a week and uh we would work on pronunciation and 
some basic words, some, sometimes some colloquialisms, some slang terms in English that they wanted to, to learn. <laughs> and we did everything from, you know, teaching them Beatles songs to laying on the ground and reciting Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. We did a lot of, and then when my mom came, came over, my mom, my brother, my dad, I have some, some of my family members that visited while I was over there. Mom read, read some of my childhood books uh, to the class and yeah, you got me, you got me, you got some nostalgia going right now thinking about that stuff. <laughs> Even though you're over there working in community health, you still were able to incorporate basketball into some stuff you did. Tell me about and it, it, tell me if I've got this right. You built a basketball court. Yeah, I did. So this is actually a really great story. When I first got there, they encourage you when you first get there to to your permanent site, which is where I lived, was in Posat, Cambodia, in the foothills of the Cardamom Mountains. And very rural area. And they encourage you, you know, I was in a small village, to your first few weeks to just go out and, you know, I, I didn't speak the language all that great at the time and just go out and meet people. And uh, so there was a, a guy in my village, didn't speak a lot of English. His name was Pset. He spoke, he spoke pretty decent English. So, and, and I would, we would trade English lessons for Kamai lessons and he would help me and I'd help him. And uh, so we're going around town, one of my first few days there and we go into the secondary school, uh, which is like a middle school. And the head of the school is uh, this older woman, and she's in there at her desk. And I go in and you know introduce myself. And Pisette is kind of doing some translating, the, the the translating that he's able to do. And uh, so I'm telling her, I'm talking to her. You know, I'm trying to tell her, you know, a little bit about me. Here's where I'm from. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm you know really happy to to be here and hope that I can contribute in ways that you want me to contribute. I know that one of the popular uh, things that, that volunteers do at some of these schools is to build a soccer field. Soccer is super popular in Cambodia. And, uh, and she says, yeah, that'd be great. And, uh, and then as I'm leaving, you know, she looked kind of, she had like this, you know, listless demeanor. She, she was uh, excited as, you know, I guess she could be about a soccer field, but she said, what we'd really like is a basketball court. And I couldn't believe when he, when Pset translated that from her, I couldn't believe my ears. Uh, it's a basketball court. I said, well, you know, Pset, tell her that I, I actually have a history. Of, I played basketball, coached basketball. And uh, when he told her that, she was, she just lit up. Like her whole posture changed towards me. And uh, she starts telling me how, she loves to play basketball and how, uh, you know, she played basketball when she was younger and how, she, how good she was and, uh, how her, you know, prior to the Khmer Rouge, uh, Pol Pot's regime in Cambodia, she, her, her uncle, uh, played on a Cambodian national team and taught her how to play. And I mean, she's just so excited. She reaches into her desk and pulls out this old flat basketball. And I mean, I've, I've kind of have chills just thinking about, it. I remember in that moment, it was kind of an out of body experience, you know, being on the other side of the globe and connecting with this person who we don't speak, we don't even speak the same language, uh, over this sport that, you know, I was in love with. 
she starts telling me about, you know, a play that she used to run. She was always taller than all the other girls, and so they ran this out-of-bounds play where she would get the tip, and then she would get a screen, and they would throw it to her in the post, and I couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. And uh, so I told her, you know, that was like one of the first weeks I was there. I said, you know, before I leave, I'm going build, to build a basketball court here. You know, I, I got sidetracked is the wrong word, but my priorities changed as I became more knowledgeable of the, the needs in my community. And so the, some other projects uh, and initiatives really took priority. But the last week that I was there, we finished, finished a basketball court. And, you know, I'm, I mean, mixing, I had students out there mixing cement uh, by hand and pouring, uh, painting the court. Uh, all the students, we did everything. And, uh, and then had a local blacksmith. I gave him the dimensions of what the, how big a rim, you know, what the rim had to be. And uh, he, he made, made us a couple of rims and we got the backboards up and uh, had my mom send me uh, a bunch. Of, I used to run a basketball camp at Ty Anderson Basketball Academy. And uh, so she sent me some boxes of basketballs. And uh, so before I left, you know, I got some, there's some, there's a basketball court in Cambodia with a bunch of Ty Anderson Basketball Academy <laughs> basketballs just bouncing all around. Since you left, have you been able to stay in touch with a lot of people that you connected with? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've, I've I haven't been as good as I want to, but that's that's not specific to uh, to my my Kamai family and friends. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, we we're, were able to talk. I always, you know, get funny looks uh, from people who are around me when I when I start speaking Kamai into the telephone. You say when you went in, your intentions weren't all selfless, and then coming out of it, you came away with some experiences you you didn't expect. The entire thing, the, my entire time there, my entire 27 months was unexpected. I mean, I didn't know really anything going in, and I came away with, a, with friends and family uh, in Cambodia, people that I am just super respectful of and, and people that I admire and, and love. And I mean, it's a place that I could go right now and people that I haven't seen since I was there will, you know, I could go there and they would welcome me in their, in their home. And when I, there was a place at a little coffee shop and this, this woman who owned a coffee shop, it was right in her house in my village. It was near the school. And I would pretty much stop there every day and get some coffee. And so I became pretty close with her and we would just chat it up. And obviously as the years went or the months went on, years went on, our conversations got a little more nuanced and a little deeper as, as I became better at the language. And when I left, I remember she said, uh, I don't know when you'll be back, but this was two years in a moment. And that really is what, I mean, there's times when I wake up and it feels like, you know, I was living in Cambodia yesterday and there's times that it feels like it couldn't be further away. I've seen pictures of you while you were there. How long did you go? without cutting your hair <laughs> the the whole time when uh i was shaving my head before i left and i remember in the peace corps pamphlet it said that uh if you shave your head that they might confuse you for a monk and <laughs> so i decided to just let it grow now it turns out i don't know who wrote that 
uh, for the Peace Corps, but it couldn't have been further from the truth. I could have, I could have shaved my head and worn orange robes, and nobody would have mistaken <laughs> me for a monk. Uh, but yes, I, I just let it, I just let it grow, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's not, it looks not for everybody, Tyler, <laughs> but uh, I miss it. I miss, I miss that, uh, miss those long, beautiful locks I had. Now, upon returning to the United States, you go back into coaching. Uh, you spent some time at South Gwinnett in Atlanta, led them to their first playoffs appearance in 10 years, and then after that you go across town to Holy Spirit Prep. Tell me what it was like getting back into coaching after spending all of this time abroad, jumping back into coaching high school ball in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, just, I just really missed basketball. I really just missed basketball. Like when I was over there during the you know ACC tournament and the and the NCAA tournament and the Final Four, that those were some of the most homesick. Those I was more homesick then, uh, really than birthdays that I missed and ho- even holidays. Like in my family, I mean, my mom used to let me come home from school uh, for the you know the first weekend of the tournament and. Uh, that was, that was that was a holiday in in my household, and uh, so I, I missed I just missed people then friends and family during basketball season more than any other time. So coming back, I was it was when I got back into coaching, I was just really sure that I was doing the thing that I was supposed to be doing. So I felt the that calling, and I didn't know you know. I didn't know that I would get into coaching high school, but when that opportunity came and it felt right, I really enjoyed it. It felt great to to just be back on the sideline, be back in practice. While you were at Holy Spirit, you coached Anthony Edwards, who's more than likely going to be the first overall pick in the NBA draft this year. What was it like coaching a guy at that level, talent? Anthony is, without question, the most talented kid that I've ever coached. I played with some really good players at Georgia Tech. I, you know, a couple of one and dones and lottery picks. At this age, or at the age that I had Anthony, he was the the hardest working individual that I've been around. He was just really committed to getting himself better, and uh, that's why he finds him. It's no secret. That's why he finds himself uh, where he is right now in the in the position that he's in, and. Uh, if he and I know he'll maintain that that work ethic, and so you know I'm looking forward to to watching him just get better and better. Bring it back around to Jacksonville State basketball. This will be your first season as an assistant coach here. Tell me about the team that we've got right now and the team that we've built. The kind of talent that we have on the court this year. Yeah, Gamecock fans are going to love watching this group. You know, I hope we get as many games in as possible. But uh, this is going to be this is going to be a group. This is a group that comes to work every day. It's been a it's been a difficult time right now. I mean, always as a coach, you're trying to preach to your guys, uh, focus on your daily task. You know, let's try to get better each day. Try to focus on you know the small things, the details, the small daily victories, as opposed to you know seeing seeing it as a whole. And this year, that's even more important because we don't know what the whole is going to look like. We've got, you know, a schedule, but we don't know how many games we're going to play on a 
weekly basis. I mean, we could prepare for, for a week leading up to a game, and that game could get, could get canceled day of. It's going to be unpredictable all year, so it's going to be even more important to, you know, to stay focused on your, your daily tasks. And uh, he, you know, our, we've got a group that has been able to do that so far. And they like playing together, and they're, they're, they're unselfish. You know, they take a lot of pride and they find joy in watching each other do well. You know, as a fan, as a coach, that's great to see. As a fan, I don't think there's anything better than, than watching your team who, who really enjoys playing for one another. Lastly, what's it mean to be on a coaching staff with head coach Ray Harper, who's a future Hall of Famer? You've got Tommy Wade and you've got Jake Morton, guys that have been here since that 2016-17 run to the OVC Championship, and to be able to see what they've done for Jacksonville State since they've been here. Yeah. I mean, Coach Harper is the – I just learned something new from that guy every single day. Uh, I'm really lucky as a young coach to to have someone like that to – observe and learn from every day there's a lot in this in this business there you know a lot of it is is luck of the draw and you know I've been lucky enough to born into a family with a hall of fame coach and now as a one of my first jobs as a young coach is working for uh, another hall of famer and you just can't you just can't put a put a price on that uh, the experience that I get learning from coach Harper is invaluable and uh you see why the guy's been able to win so many games the the culture that we have as a staff in our office is truly unique chase chase and i coach richardson and i became very close he's one of my best friends uh i used to tell him last year early on you know you know this is a different we have a different camaraderie in this office this you don't find this everywhere and you know with with T. Wade and with Jake, it's just great people to be around. I'm just, I'm really lucky to have fallen into to a position with, with guys like that who you, you enjoy coming to work with every day. It makes a huge difference. Ty Anderson, thanks for coming on the podcast this week. Best of luck this season. Thanks, Tyler. I appreciate it. That'll do it for this week's edition of Behind the Beak. I hope that you and yours are healthy, and I'll talk to you again next week. I'll be back Tuesday with a brand new episode and another guest. For Avery Davis, I'm Tyler Brown saying thank you for listening, and go Gamecocks. This has been Behind the Beak, the official podcast of Jacksonville State Athletics. Look for new episodes each week or browse the archives on the Apple Podcast app or by visiting jsugamecocksports.com. For more on Jacksonville State Athletics, visit the official website of the Gamecocks, jsugamecocksports.com, and follow JSU on social media by searching at JSU Gamecocks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.